Hello, my name is Corey Frank. I'm a major airline captain and the author of Three Feet to the Left, A New Captain's Journey from Pursuit to Perspective, and you're listening to the Keystone Letters. Keystonian number 11. Mr. Trump fights for Jim. To my neighbors in Pennsylvania and beyond. On Saturday, July 11, 2015, I grabbed a leisurely lunch at a sandwich shop in downtown Phoenix before meandering back toward my layover hotel. Now, I don't care how dry the heat is, 105 degrees Fahrenheit is still hot. Roasting, actually. Which was why I was so surprised by what I found after following my curiosity to the source of the commotion I heard nearby. There, at the Phoenix Convention Center, a large crowd had gathered. People were chanting. Others held signs. Barricades were erected. I walked up to one of the people not far from a menacing-looking inflatable and asked, What's going on? The woman looked at me like I was clueless. It's the Donald Trump rally, she said. His first organized campaign rally, as it happened. With nothing but time on my hands until my flight the next morning, I asked, Do you need tickets? The woman replied, I think you can get them online. So, I joined the end of the long line that wrapped more than once around the convention hall, pulled out my phone, and signed up. Then I listened to the people around me. I asked questions. I took it all in. Because like so many other people, I didn't think Mr. Trump's campaign, which he had announced a month earlier, was much more than a publicity stunt. Amidst the summer heat, however, I began to think differently. Many people I met had traveled for hours to come to the rally. Later, I'd read the supporters began lining up at 4 a.m. And there I was amongst them, having sauntered up, completely oblivious that the event was even happening. What would motivate people to make that type of commitment, especially given the extreme heat? My curiosity was in full effect. For more than an hour, we inched our way around the convention center and past the few dozen protesters. When we finally got inside, as some of the last of the nearly 4,000 people who made it into the event, we praised the air conditioning's welcome relief. The thousand or more people left outside were not so lucky. Music played as I snaked around the outside of the crowd, most of whom were white and older. There were, however, many more people of color in attendance than I would have expected. I settled into a spot on the room's far side. Someone near me mentioned that Sheriff Joe Arpaio had already spoken. Mr. Trump would soon speak from the lectern on the small stage, behind which hung a giant American flag flanked by tall navy blue curtains on both sides. Within moments, Mr. Trump walked in. The crowd exploded. A sea of smartphones raised into the air to snap photos and videos. Admittedly, 
mine was one of them. After all, I had been to many political events before, including presidential candidate campaign rallies. But I had never experienced energy like this. What was driving it? Surely not just Mr. Trump's celebrity. As Mr. Trump started to talk, the room quieted. He commanded its complete attention. He captivated attendees with detailed stories. He humored them as he riffed on his dating experience when talking about turning down a contract extension for The Apprentice so he could run for president. And, when an attendee on the side shouted out something pertinent, he stopped, turned, and included him or her in the conversation. Did you catch that? It wasn't a speech. It was a conversation. Mr. Trump's reality as a billionaire businessman could not have been more different than most, if not all, of the attendees. Yet for roughly an hour, it felt as though we were all sitting around the break room table at the local factory, chatting it up with our friend Don. He wasn't an elitist. He was just one of the guys who happened to have a lot more zeros in his bank account balance. He was someone who finally called it like it is, without using all the politically correct BS people expect from politicians. He was fun. He was energetic. And most of all, he was oddly relatable. I think that's perhaps the biggest element of Mr. Trump's appeal that the media went on to miss about him, and perhaps loathe, for the next several years. Then he came to the meat of his presentation. We have to stop illegal immigration, he said. I love the Mexican people. I respect Mexico. And they're killing us at the border. They're killing us in trade. They're taking our jobs. They're taking our manufacturing. They're taking our money. They're killing us. We have to take our country back. And right then, I got it. I started texting my family and friends saying, this guy is going to be so much more of a factor than people think. And clearly, he was. You see, Mr. Trump perfectly understood the friction point in the lives of the attendees. The one that caused real pain for them. The one that drove them to take action, like driving for hours or lining up at 4 a.m. to attend his event in the scorching Arizona heat. This wasn't about a dislike of the Mexican people or immigrants from other lands. This was about people like the guy I'll call Jim, whose factory job disappeared from Scranton and reappeared in Guadalajara thanks to NAFTA. This was about the series of odd jobs that Jim shuffled through when he realized there just weren't opportunities requiring his unique skill sets. This was about the dwindling savings Jim had in his bank account, since the jobs he landed paid a fraction of what his old union contract had awarded. This was about the diminished self-worth Jim felt when he looked his wife and kids in the eyes and told them they'd have to pass, again, on getting new sneakers or joining the traveling baseball team. Contrary to the media caricature of Trump supporters like Jim, he wasn't looking to put other people down, but he sure as hell was looking for someone to go fight for him, someone whom he believed could make America work for him again. Mr. Trump was that man. 
In return, Jim would crawl through broken glass to support Mr. Trump. And, as America would soon find out, Jim had lots and lots of friends who felt the same exact way. Isn't it ironic that at that very same time, on the complete opposite end of the American political spectrum, another presidential candidate was listening to voters who said America wasn't working for them either, that our political system was broken, and that what they needed was a genuine outsider who didn't tow the party line and who wouldn't stop fighting to make America work for them. But I'll cover what I see as the uncanny similarities between loyal Trump supporters like Jim and the supporters of Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders in a different letter on another day. Until then, I wish you well. Your neighbor, Corey. P.S. Are you a Trump supporter? What do you believe the media missed about people like you and other supporters of Mr. Trump? Leave a comment on Instagram, at Keystone Letters. You've been listening to the Keystone Letters. I'm Corey Frank, major airline captain and author of Three Feet to the Left, a new captain's journey from pursuit to perspective. If you like what you've heard, don't forget to subscribe and leave us a five-star rating so others can join us on our journey to reignite the American spirit.